Welcome to the Teachers on Fire podcast, where I profile agents of growth and transformation in education today. Each guest shares their highs, their lows, their passions, their goals, and the resources that are shaping their thinking and inspiring their practice. For show notes and links from each episode, visit teachersonfire.net. You can also follow the show at Teachers on Fire on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And of course, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Tim Cavey. Let's meet today's guest. Today, I'm speaking with Rabbi Michael Cohen. Michael is a designer, educator, creativity instigator, podcaster, YouTuber, speaker, and Apple Distinguished Educator. He's also the director of innovation at Yeshiva University of Los Angeles Boys High School and the author of Educated by Design, Designing the Space to Experiment, Explore, and Extract Your Creative Potential. Great book. Follow Rabbi Michael Cohen on Twitter and Instagram at The Tech Rabbi. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Are you ready to talk education? Yeah, absolutely. Especially now, you know, more than ever. <laughs> well, we'll get into that very quickly. First of all, why don't you start by telling us a little bit more about your current context in education? What does that look like? So I'm I'm super blessed to be at a really amazing school. It's a, it's a boys high school in Los Angeles. Yeshiva University has uh, different lab schools around the country, and uh, there is a boys and girls school based in LA. So I, I'm their director of innovation, and I am there to build their entrepreneurship program to provide uh, new avenues for students that might not see themselves as engineers, at least from how they define engineer and STEAM and STEM and all of these different technical areas that we, we bundle into innovation. And then really just give, give the teachers that are part of my, you know, part of my colleague team uh, the opportunity to collaborate uh, and, and, and really just make awesome learning experiences. And then um, the, the double level of blessing is, is that I'm also very fortunate to travel uh, the country uh, up until a month ago and, and work with educators you know, all over the country, all over the world. I was supposed to be in South Africa uh, last week and bring that same type of hopefully empowering awareness to educators about just how, how much they can do for students to, to turn them into better, you know, better future adults. You alluded to the crisis. And before we go any further, I need to ask you about what that looks like in, in your world. So tell me about your school's response, your, your strategy, and, and what do things look like particularly for you? So our school is one-to-one -one MacBook. We're one of the early one-to-one -one MacBook schools. I think 10, 11 years now, they've been one-to-one. -one. And so it's it's just part it's just part of of the way that the school functions. So the the students are you know they're on the PowerSchool LMS. The, the teachers are in Zoom, and the students are learning. And the the days shorten. We've shortened the periods. The our, our school is actually dual curriculum, and we usually finish school at five o'clock in the afternoon every day. So we're finishing about two thirty, and. The, you know, the morale, I think, is high because we, we spend just as much time, I, I think, if you, if you really look at it cumulatively, just as much time focusing on the social-emotional well-being of students and, and their struggles and, and having you know, that empathy lens for, you know, are, there, 
Are there, you know, are there ways that the the virus is is impacting them directly uh, or their or their family members? So we have different social events that we do, you know, Saturday night, Friday morning, and other times during the week. And then we also have cut out uh, one of our periods as an official class time to just office hours, just like, hey, how you doing? You want to chat? And I think that 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 is a real blessing that I think when we were in the, you know, just the running, running the gauntlet of, of teaching and, and learning that we didn't, we didn't really have that opportunity to connect with our students in that way. And I think that some of the most meaningful moments right now have come from outside of the, of the um, traditional, you know, school day for these students. Absolutely. I, I will second that. I've been, I'm an eighth grade teacher here in my context, and I've been opening every day with a circle check-in. And of course, middle school life is a little bit different than high school, but just that social emotional time to, as you say, hang out and connect with kids is so meaningful. Well, before we continue with the present, let's take a step back into the past. Michael, would you tell us about a low moment or an experience of adversity that you've faced somewhere in your teaching or education career and describe how you overcame it? Yeah, uh, there, there's a, there is a moment that I, I probably check in on, at least on a monthly basis. So I got into education as a design instructor for a school fashion institute of design and merchandising in Los Angeles. And I I was just, I was a designer, creative director, did not consider myself to be an educator. And, you know, without getting too much into that, there was a moment where I was a a newly, um, a newly hired director of education technology, uh, which also is like a story in of itself. But the point, the point of, you know, answering what, what you asked was, there was a point where I felt like a fraud. I understand technology and I understand how to mentor and support people, but I didn't have the formal education. I didn't have the uh, the degree or the pedigree of of effective and professional, you know, pedagogy. Right, all these things that you know many educators will get as they do an undergrad and then for sure a master's. So there was a point where I really was frustrated because I had given up so much in in the world of design and creativity. I wasn't yet quite like, you know, a legitimate educator, so to speak. And I just felt like I was really torn and I didn't know what to do. So I, I sat down for a moment and I realized that when we can reflect on the journeys and the experiences that we have and understand how that journey was uh, was really just a mission critical stop at some much bigger thing than just us as individuals we're, we're easily able to to come to terms to forgive ourselves to I don't want to say settle in the negative but just really just take a step back and then figure out how to move forward and so that that low point, was something that drove me to do two things. One is I got a I got a master's in education. It was uh, an accelerated eighteen month program, which was absolutely crazy for me and my family. Uh, at that point, I had this was two thousand fifteen, so I had um, three three kids at the time, three very young kids. I think it was three uh, three under five, and 
it was just really hard, but something I had to do. And then the second piece to solve that was being true to who I am. I am a designer. I am a creator. And I had to figure out ways to bring that back into my teaching practice and my leadership practice. And you know, without getting too much into that, because I'm sure that'll be part of some of the follow-up questions, that I think was a way for me to really long-windedly answer how I solved this this major issue that, you know, I, as I said before, I still think about uh, as I'm, you know, just checking in and reflecting every month, every, you know, every couple months. You know, we hear that term imposter syndrome battered around a lot. And you've mentioned something here. I don't, I don't think you use the term actually, but uh, you've mentioned something here. And that is that, you know, one of our options is to really lean into that and, and get hungry, right? And build up our credentials and our training and our expertise and our skills. And that's, uh, I feel like that's a piece of advice that you don't hear very often in EduTwitter and in the education community. And, and I think that's great advice. Well, you went on, of course, to write Educated by Design, and I'd like to talk about that book next. The subtitle reads, Designing the Space to Experiment, Explore, and Extract Your Creative Potential. So many good directions that we could go here, and it's been fun to hear you discuss your ideas chapter by chapter on the podcast. I know you're taking a bit of a hiatus there, but (laughs) let's start with this quote. You write, we want our students to believe that they have the ability to create something incredible, but for that to happen, they must experience the freedom of authentic learning. Our students must be allowed to take risks and be given the space to experiment, fail, and try again. So can you talk more about what you mean by authentic learning? How can school leaders and teachers move their practices and thinking in this direction? So the authentic piece is it's interesting because there I, I see it as um, actually uh, a there there's two different really critical components to that. The first is that the the students have to see the value and be invested in it, and that's usually where it ends, right? It's like oh, we real world we gotta we gotta give our students these you know authentic experiences that are that are just really part of you know some you know insert some sort of business you know jargon or or buzzword. So it's it is that there there has to be a way that as educators we are seeking out opportunities for our students to see the world and and just have a have an opportunity to figure things out around business or social good or some sort of very you know specific niche that they're interested in pursuing but at the same time we are charged with giving our students the the skills of analysis of research of writing of of strong communication and of being able to just really make sense of information. And I think that it has to be a balance. So yes, we want to come up with, you know, cool project-based learning, design thinking, all these like really cool things. But at the end of the day, you know, I reached out once to a CEO of a, of a major sports memorabilia uh, company. And it was one of those ask me anything tweets. And I said, what's the most important thing that a high school student should leave you know, should graduate with? Like, what is that, that core skill? So he didn't say business. He didn't say, you, you know, an on, you know, entrepreneurial mindset. He said strong writing skills because that is the core for all communication. And, you know, I told it to the English teacher. Obviously she laughed and was like, well, well, duh, like obviously, but <laughs> it's, it's uh, right. It's, it's important that 
that our, our students know that there are many skills that they need and, and that's why we're here. But I think it's the content that needs to be a little more, more flexible and we need to kind of uh, push aside just a, just a little bit, not, not push it off a cliff, but push aside the way that we've canonized certain curricular content that like it must be an 11th grader must know this or learn this or read this. And if not, are they truly an 11th grader? I like that a lot. Well, you also wrote in the same book, Michael, that, and I'll quote here, I believe that creativity is a mindset, not an art set. And that's an expression that I come across a few times. I love that quote because I hear the growth mindset there and Carol Dweck's book mindset really was a game changer for me. And when I talk about mindset, I think of the ideas that our identities and our capacities to learn are not fixed, that we all have that creative capacity. So what is your word to students and educators who have decided that they are not creative people? So it's, it's hard for it's hard for me to answer that from my perspective. Um, a, because I wrote the book, so like I already have, you know, I have pre- I have prejudice against it because a, I went to art school and I have this, you know, creative physical skill that I can employ. And it was actually I, I've heard it a couple times, but last week I was I was having a Zoom conference call with an individual. She works for a nonprofit and former educator, and she she is part of this leadership team. And it is really up to her to move and advance forward these strategic initiatives for the nonprofit. And she said, you know, I read your book and I I really never considered myself to be creative, but you gave me the, the language to look for the creativity in my own life. And I was like, whoa, like, I need, can I quote you? I, I got goosebumps because that's what it is. It's you being able to understand that creativity is about the way that you look at the world. It's about the way that you connect information together. And that could translate as creativity in leadership, creativity in program or curricular design, lesson design. I make pretty good lessons, but I'm like an, I'm an idea person. And I know there are people I'm, I'm collaborating right now with somebody on a couple different lessons and she is blowing me out of the water and not like in a, you know, it's not a competition, but like, I'm just, I'm, I'm blown away at how I see where, where my weakness is, but then where her strength, where her weakness is. And together we're, we're like, we're producing some really great things. So it's those moments where we sort of get away from the art, the music, the dance, the culinary, these things that we do. And the other thing that's helpful, but it's really kind of like extra credit is like, go learn about these artists, go learn about these, uh, you know, these composers. And you'll, you'll soon discover that it wasn't about making music it wasn't about making art. It was this driving force to disrupt or to comment on the, you know, the, the challenges of the times that really pushed great people to create. Awesome. Just before we got on the call here, Michael, I was looking at one of your recent, I think you just published this video today about Adobe Post Spark, if I have that right. And, you know, I was, there's so much value there. And I was thinking, isn't it unfortunate? I'm sure you've heard it too, that you know, we hear educators say, well, I'm not an artist, I'm not a designer, I'm not a tech person. And just for every person, every educator in particular to keep in mind that creative capacity is there, it just needs to be cultivated. And I love that response from that reader that you quoted. That was awesome. 
Michael, how are you looking to grow professionally and improve your practice in the coming year? Can you share about a specific professional goal or maybe a project that you're currently working on? Yeah, so I am right now really a little bit a little bit obsessed and you'll you know for those that are listening and checking out the YouTube channel hopefully by the time they hear this I will have produced a number uh, a number of other videos. This 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 methodology of storytelling and of really trying to find ways to bring words and and images to sort of synthesize the spoken word when when we tell stories. So the you know I look at it's all, I saw this meme uh, and I think this this will help with the context. Saw this meme. It was like um, YouTubers uh, like February 2020 YouTubers is not a job, and then March 2020 it was like all teachers are are now YouTubers, right? So the 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 way in which you can tell stories, even just like with lighting. I mean, it's, it's little things like that that I'm now really obsessed with as I'm very much stuck in quarantine in, uh, you know, in my, my creativity lab. I don't even have a cool name for it yet because it's, it's still pretty new. Uh, but, I, you know, I have this space at my house and I'm, I'm creating content, but I'm trying to create it in a way that teachers can see, like, I might create that. I could create that. So trying to keep it short, trying to keep it engaging, and of course, trying to keep it uh, relevant to a educator that's probably not going to go out and spend more than $50 on, you know, upping their content creation game. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking around this room right now, and I have thousands of dollars worth of, of content creation hardware and that's just not realistic. So, you know, one of the things you had mentioned earlier, the, the, the video I just posted. So I was really excited about that video because it's actually going to spawn a, a very quick third or, or second video, which is I edited the entire video on my iPhone. So it's like there's no excuse now. Like you have a smartphone if you are an educator. I mean, I, I would say you know, at least 75% of educators have a smartphone. And for free on your smartphone, on an app, you can film yourself, you can edit and produce and, and just come up with some really cool, powerful visuals that I think could just change the way in which we connect content to our students and to show them uh, those skills and value that they're going to need to have because most professions are requiring this storytelling as a way of standing out as a professional. And yeah, it, I'm, I'm just really excited about it because I feel like now is the time we're all on the internet. We're all now consuming digitally and we have an opportunity to come up with new ways to create content, to author content, to produce content that we might, we could have done before, but we probably didn't really need to because there wasn't such an urgency and there wasn't such an emphasis on, on online connection. It is an incredible time to make video content as an educator. A couple of things to think about. Number one, you've got hundreds of thousands of educators diving full tilt into these ed tech tools that they are completely unfamiliar with, right? And, and platforms, and, and they are looking for guidance. And then two, you've got virtually every ed tech company out there offering their premium services on a free basis, right? For these schools and educators that are locked out. And so I, I completely agree. I've, I've been 
pumping out these two, three minute demo and tutorial videos as fast as I possibly can, just because I think they are so valuable. And a lot of them I can't share outside of my school if they happen to include student names, but people need to see that that step by step. And I love the feel of what you are doing to, as you say, make it accessible for your your typical educator. Well, let's go outside of education if we can, Michael, and talk about another area of learning for you. What is it that ignites your passions when you leave the school and really brings you alive as a human being? Is there another area of interest in your life that really ignites your passions? Well, yes, there is. It's it's a it's a little bit of a sore subject right now under quarantine, but I am an avid rock climber. And I am at the rock climbing gym just a few minutes away from my house, probably three days a week. And when I travel, I I make it, some people collect snow globes. I actually make sure that I visit a local climbing gym and and get in a session uh, when I'm on the road. Share about a personal habit or a productivity hack that contributes to your success. Is there an app or a routine that you really rely on? Um, <laughs> it's I, I'm very productive, but it's it's honestly sometimes I feel like it's a triage. So you know I I, I do physical um, note taking and and physical productivity management in a you know an analog journal. Uh, I do it better than digital, but I actually am working on a project right now um, with uh, with a group of people, and they have finally shown me the power of Trello. And I'm now obsessed with Trello. So I actually now see, because, uh, you know, the, the blank canvas is so daunting when we're trying to start, even in the analog journal, it's like, how am I going to fill this with all the things I need to do and, and make sense and manage them? But I finally have seen Trello that I, I'm now excited to explore that, like for my own personal work, but I, I'm very much using it over the past couple of weeks with this group. So I would definitely recommend uh, Trello in, in, uh, in that mix. And then, yeah, I mean, I just think I think being healthy, eating healthy and, and exercising in, in whatever way we can uh, has been really a game changer. And it's it's about 18 months now of, of me really focused on on my on my health, you know, my eating, my 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 exercise and also my sleep. Um, so when we talk about being prod- uh, productive, you know, you could have all the apps in the world, but if you're not taking care of yourself, which I know as educators, we're not good at doing then you know it, it doesn't matter what app you have. It, it's going to be a struggle. Yeah, well said. Well, it's time for your quick picks. And here we want to know the education voices and resources that are really shaping your practice and inspiring your thinking today. So starting at Twitter, tell us about someone we should follow there and share why they've been inspiring you lately. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was at uh, METC in uh, St. Louis in... Um, I can't even remember like what week, what day it is now. I, this was in February. <laughs> I was like, where am I? In February. And uh, I had an opportunity um, on um, to spend some time with some different educators there in person. And I, I'm always excited when that, you know, you have your Twitter connections and then you connect with them in real life. And then it sort of re sort of readjust how much you focus on checking out what they're doing. So uh, Kim Lane Car- uh, Clark, Ask a Techno Girl. She is doing incredible things around uh, STEM and computer program, computer science, especially for girls. So she's awesome. Uh, Tanya Avrith, who is the uh, Adobe Spark education evangelist, she co- is just 
always coming up with incredible ways to bring creativity into those areas where more and more educators can feel uh, very confident um, about being creative and acknowledging their creative growth. And then uh, Michael Hernandez, uh, his um, his Twitter handle, um, you know, it's like when they don't use their names, like how do you remember? So um, Cinehead, C-I-N-E-H-E-A-D. So he is a, uh, a media teacher at, um, at a high school. And he, he's done some amazing, amazing projects and the quarantine is not stopping his creative juices. So people should definitely check out the webinars and the way that he just makes media, uh, creation and, you know, journalism more accessible for students. Cause I think right now students need to know that their like their writing skills to to plan out content and the way that they can document and 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 not you know we say journal and it's this sort of this like little little secret thing that you do but like journal as in journalism that you could actually be documenting and and sharing the truth and the reality of where you are and the more citizen journals we have uh, citizen journalists we have, I think the more uh, authentic and truthful uh, our awareness can be around what's happening in other communities that aren't necessarily um, close to ours. So those are three that, you know, long-winded, I know you said rapid, but like, I, I can't help but just showcase <laughs> their awesomeness. Well, I know you know who Gary Vee is and something he preaches is just document the learning journey, you know, and don't overthink it. And I, I think so many educators undervalue what their content is worth if they would simply document their learning. And, and the same goes for our learners. So love that. Point us to an ed tech tool that you currently love using somewhere in your classroom and with your learners, Michael. I know we've talked about Trello as a productivity true, uh, tool, pardon me, and Adobe Spark Post as a creative tool. Is there something else that maybe in the remote learning environment you are really enjoying? So I want to, I want to say zoom. Cause I think that's a funny answer, but I, I don't know. It's, it's crazy because, you know, zoom, I've been using zoom for probably three years now uh, on a regular basis. I mean, I I'm having video conferences, you know, even before the quarantine, like this is a regular thing for me. And I, I never had much of a problem, but then they go from 10 million to 200 million users. And then you start to see like flaws that people didn't notice, you know, security exploits that people didn't notice. So, you know, with, with all of the imperfections of zoom, I am just absolutely blown away at the way in which people are, uh, securely and safely and intelligently creating massive spaces to connect with other people. So yes, there's Zoom bombing. Uh, it's, you know, I, I'm in, I, I was in a, um, it, it's called a Fabrengen. I was in a Hasidic gathering over Zoom last night for two hours, listening to uh, a rabbi just give his insights and, and give us courage around these very uncertain times. There were 75 people inside the Zoom room. There were zero problems because it was set up the right way. It was live streamed to YouTube. And you just had this opportunity for, for me to see people that I see on a regular basis that I don't get to see, to hear from incredible minds that uh, might not um, be accessible because you know they were, they were at a live event somewhere and it wasn't recorded. And it just really, for me, I think is it's so simple. Like, yes, there are other amazing collaborative live collaboration tools. You can use Adobe XD and Google apps and things like that, that, you know, allow for, for creation to happen live together, you know, uh, key, you know, live keynote collaboration. But 
you know, I want to keep it simple for a moment. And because Zoom is getting so much heat for for its privacy issues, um, if you set it up right, um, there are very minimal issues. And the issues that are there, they are responding with such speed. It happens to be they're a publicly traded company, so they can do that um, with such speed that literally from March 7th until today, they've come up with three major updates and they've frozen all feature R&D and they're just focusing on perfecting what they have. So, you know, people hate on it, but I think it's incredible at the way that it's connected. Um, you know, elderly that live alone, people that are, you know, super extroverted like myself who are very social, um, but just the ways that like people are, are doing more learning and more connection now than I think they did before. So good. Recommend one book, Michael, one that you've been reading lately, perhaps, or I'd love to hear this, one of your all-time faves that's been deeply influential. It's so hard. As I was as I was reviewing that that one question, I was like, okay, the, fa- the favorite book. So the truth is the really one of my one of the books that has made a huge impact on me is what I wish I knew when I was 20 from uh, Professor Tina Seelig. And she is just I mean, besides being a distant mentor um, and someone that I, I learn from on a regular basis and I've connected with, it's it's a it's a evergreen, timeless book. Um, and then I'm just gonna you know break the rules because you said one, but then one that I'm really excited about right now that I am currently reading that someone recommended to me was "Dare to Lead" by Brene Brown, and I'm like I'm I can't put that one down. I have a theory that every podcast producer started out as a podcast fan. And I'd love to hear in a moment, perhaps, uh, or, or let's get into it right now. What is your truer love? Because you've dabbled kind of a couple of times, right? A couple of seasons in the podcast realm. But right now you've put that on the shelf. You're, you're full blast into YouTube. So is that your, your truer passion, would you say? Or, or how do you feel about those two mediums? You know, I, I love the camera. I, I do. Uh, I love the way in which the the visual um, opportunities exist to just captivate and engage people around you know things that I'm passionate in sharing. And I think I think I'm passionate on audio, and and I do love it. But for me, it's very hard to manage it all. And you know, as you had mentioned, Gary V earlier. Um, so his podcast has had a huge impact on me over the years. And you know, before his podcast, the the books is like being able to do that slice and dice of different types of content and push it out. I think for me, because the podcasts that I love so much are, are so, um, they're, they're so intentional. Um, yours is a perfect example. When I listen to your podcast, you, you have created this really incredible conversation that has so much diversity by the audience or not, sorry, but not the audience, but by the guests that you have on. And that's hard for me to do. And because of that, I, I always sort of feel like, can I do like just a, like a whatever podcast where I just like capture audio and just put it out there? Or does it have to be polished? And, you know, maybe you could give me some insight uh, into that because <laughs> it's, it's been hard for me. Well, I think I messaged you one time after, I remember one episode where you, you just sort of riffed as you walked through the park and ate a sandwich or something. And, and I, I, I just think more educators need to do that because- you know, I, I talk to other podcasters that are so consumed with quality. And yes, we want our quality to be high, as I'm sure you agree in the YouTube space. But on the other hand, that can hold a lot of people back from ever getting anything out, you know, and so there has to be that balance, I think. 
Well, let's uh, end the conversation with two questions about video. Talk to us about a YouTube channel that inspires you right now. So I'm I'm really I've been inspired for a while with uh, Claudio Zavala. He is uh, an educator that I met years ago at ISTE, and he's an educator and he's also a creator. And his his channel has inspired me really to get my own channel like back on track and. Just the way that he, uh, the way he creates and tells stories and engages you and then helps you and educates you. And also one of the things about his channel that I love and I'm really trying to do with my own is when we think of ourselves as educators, we think of ourselves as like, okay, I'm a high school innovation director. You had mentioned that you are an eighth grade educator, but we're more than that. We have the ability, and I think this, this now that we're all on the internet Educators are people that have the ability to help bring clarity and help build skill in other people, whether it's, you know, knowledge, whether it's, you know, you know, um, hands-on skills, you know, um, actionable skills. And so I think right now I'm trying to sort of redesign the way in which I, I use the, the vernacular around education, that it should be open to a broader audience, but still stay true to my my, my core, my love, which is, you know, supporting teachers and supporting, supporting young people. So he's doing that. Uh, and that for me just really gets me excited. So his, his stuff is awesome. Well, our friend Gary would say that every company is a media company in 2020. And I think that language doesn't necessarily compute for a lot of educators, but maybe to use the language that every educator is an educator beyond their own walls, right? And we all have that opportunity to bring information and insights, as you said, to countless people. The audience is infinite. And I tell my boys all the time, like, seriously, you do not understand what has happened in the last 30 years. <laughs> you know, this is such a remarkable opportunity to share your ideas with the world. Well, the last question, you mentioned how productive you are and the, the triage effect. So I don't know where, how you'll go on this one, but what are you watching on Netflix right now in the quarantine life? So I don't watch te television. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I don't. Uh, I've I haven't watched television in um, in years. I think the last thing that I binge watched was Lost. So I don't know when Lost ended, but like that that was like the end. I think that ruined television for me. That that ending. So I watched some documentaries, mostly around rock climbing. So you know, Real Rock Thirteen, which is like Super Nerd Alert, or uh, The Dawn Wall which is a little bit more mainstream because that um, Tommy Cadwell, who's featured in that one, he trained uh, Alex Honnold, who uh, did the the, um, the the climbing movie Free Solo, which I know everybody's heard of now, right? So I, I, I watch those and, um, you know, that is, is really like my limit. Um, so... Yeah, for better, for worse. I can see that in you. And I can tell you as well, I'm sure you've heard of the Tiger King and I can say you're not missing much. <laughs> Michael, this has been a lot of fun. What are the best ways for listeners interested in your message and in your, let's say, brand of educated by design and everything else you're working on right now? What are the best ways for them to connect? Yeah, so I would, I'm going to rank them because I am literally on every single social media platform, including TikTok. Uh, there's a couple like random ones that have actually come out over the past couple months. So I won't even mention those because who knows if those will stand the test of time. So I'll rank like the frequency in which I'm spending time on these platforms in hopes that uh, your awesome listeners will, you know, reach out and, and connect with me there. So I'm on Twitter all the time. 
And that's a place where I love just having conversations with educators. Uh, I post a lot of content right now, uh, a lot of focus on my YouTube channel because I feel like right now I have to support educators and give them, you know, ways of making sense of tools and approaches to online learning and, and the tools that, that they have access to. Then uh, Instagram, uh, I just, I love that platform because I'm super visual. Uh, then Facebook, and really those are, those are the top, you know, there's that, you know, like I got a blog, I got a, you know, book on Amazon, but like no one's going to like have a conversation with me on Amazon. <laughs> well, it, it, that, that is true. Although you can follow authors there uh, and I, I do that a little bit, but you know, I made one mistake and you were very gracious. I, I mentioned the brand of educated by design, but you've actually built a very solid brand around the tech rabbi. And so that's worth the repeating. I think for anyone trying to hunt you down online, you can be found everywhere at the tech rabbi, right? Yep. That is, that's it. Well, sounds good, Michael. Again, thank you so much for sharing your time with the podcast today. I have to say I'm a little starstruck. Just, you know, I've heard you on a few different podcasts. I've listened to your own podcast and now to connect with you in real time has been a real treat for me. So thank you again. Take care, stay safe, and let's talk again soon. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Awesome, you know, awesome energy. And I love your podcast. Before we sign off today, I'd like to share some highlights from around the Teachers on Fire Nation this week. Our first stop is on Twitter, where Chris Woods at Daily Stem tweeted in reference to episode 134 with my guest Jesus Huerta, quote, I finally got to listen, and it was great to hear the story behind at Jesus H 1979. Keep up the great work, Jesus, and thank you, Tim, for letting him share what fuels his hashtag 3D printed fire. End quote. Well, thank you so much for the encouraging tweet, Chris. If you're new to Chris Woods, make sure you tune into the STEM Everyday podcast and follow him on Twitter for a constant flow of imaginative STEM activities that students and families can try anywhere. His content has never been more timely. Next on Instagram, I posted a picture of my ideal daily work schedule for remote learning. I won't bore you with the timeline here, but if you are interested to see what my ideal remote learning day looks like, make sure to follow me at Teachers on Fire on Instagram. Dr. Shen at This Is Me Movement, and I'll spell that This Is Me MVMT commented, quote, I need to get on this schedule, end quote. And to that, I say good luck, Dr. Shan. I can't claim to be hitting those time horizons every day, but it's felt so good just to have some goals and even some hope at sanity in this environment where we constantly want to be available to support our learners. So we are in this together. And Dr. Shan, I appreciate the encouragement. On the Teachers on Fire page on Facebook, in response to my question about what is the one thing that is working well for you right now in remote learning, Jason Shumway wrote, quote, I have been using Google Forms to get feedback from parents and students. This has been extremely valuable. Also, been loving Flipgrid, end quote. Well, thank you so much for the comment, Jason. I'm going to second your picks of Flipgrid and Google Forms and... Hey, if you have some results from your Google Form surveys, I am very interested to see both your questions and the lovely graphs that Google Form spits out from those. So make sure to share and tag me if they are on the interweb somewhere. 
to all who have read, viewed, liked, retweeted, commented, or replied to my content on any of these platforms. Thank you. You are the fuel to my fire, and I so appreciate your support. Well, if you're looking for some inspiring reading, make sure you drop by the Teachers on Fire magazine on Medium, where we featured recent articles by Tom Hobson, Kelly Christofferson, 16-year-old Bennett Jester, and I'm so excited to feature a current high school student. Get a load of this guy. He is really putting out some ideas in a bold and compelling manner, so check out his material. We've also featured pieces by Dr. Francois Nodia, Debbie Tannenbaum, and me. The Teachers on Fire magazine is a Medium publication, and you'll find it on medium.com or on the Medium app. To join our writing team there, your first step is to create a Medium account using your Google credentials. Then message Teachers on Fire on any social media platform for more details, and I'll add you as a writer for the publication. You'll be all set, and it's easy from there. Speaking of blogging, check out the Teacher Blogs podcast. Recent posts there have featured educators like Lynn Thomas and Brad Davis. I continue to love the experience of hearing bloggers read their articles in their own voices. And let's face it, we don't always have time to read blog posts, but sometimes we have the time to listen. So make sure you subscribe to the Teacher Blogs podcast. I will leave you with this quote from my reading teachers on fire. It's from a book called Inquiry Mindset, nurturing the dreams, wonders, and curiosities of our youngest learners. It's by Trevor McKenzie. You'll find him on Twitter at Trev underscore McKenzie and Rebecca Bathurst Hunt. You'll find her at R Bathurst Hunt. And they write, quote, by empowering students to choose how they would like to show their learning, we enable them to tap into their strengths, interests, and learning styles, end quote. Empowering students to choose how they would like to show their learning. That so goes against the traditional norms we all grew up with. But as we allow more voice and choice in the classroom, that's when we really unlock the passion and potential in every learner. And I really love that quote. Again, I am your host, Tim Cavey, and I'm so grateful that you decided to spend some of your day listening to this podcast. I hope that in some way the content you heard from Rabbi Michael Cohen ignited your thinking and inspired your practice. And I'll meet you next week right here on the Teachers on Fire podcast. Take care and stay safe.